All right. Yeah. I'm thinking we're back. I'm thinking we are back. With another episode of Proceeding Film. This is episode four, and it's going to be a little bit different. Drew Watsky, my partner in crime, he's actually had a bachelor party this weekend, and we cannot find a time to schedule. So this is what he did. He sent me several movie uh, options that I could talk about. Uh, I'm here with Jonah Wilcox. Jonah, thanks for being on, man. Oh, good to be here, Heath. So these were the movie options he gave me. He said, I don't want to talk about The Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai, Interstellar or 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I thought was interesting. I was like, oh man, I feel like he's a, he's a Nolan guy. He'd love to talk about that. Yeah, it was a great comment. But he's got, he's got no, no desire. Um, we've got <laughs> Hanover Street and Casablanca. That's one for me. Ooh. I'm very excited when we do that episode. Logan and Shane, which probably, I guess, another one for me. Really, when I say that, everything on this list is just for me and not for him. <laughs> and then this last one was John Wick and Old Boy. That's what I started with. But then I realized, and I forgot about my beloved pig, I said, wait a second. <laughs> a companion piece of John Wick, which is way better, would be Pig. So today, Jonah Wilcox, we are talking about 2021's Pig and 2014's John Wick. I am very excited and as always, we're going to dissect how these movies are the same, how they might differ. And these movies are interesting to me because they start off with the same premise. I mean, almost beat like, for beat. Beat for beat, exactly the same premise. Pretty much. One's just in a crime syndicate. The other one's in the world of culinary arts in Which, Portland, Oregon. I mean, they're almost the same thing. It's the so. same thing. Exactly right. <laughs> At least both these movies portray it as almost the same thing. I know, thing. right? Pig's got this whole like weird underground uh, uh, secret society. Of there, there's a, there's even a hotel that he has to walk through to enter the oh, incredible exactly. underworld. But there are some huge differences, and we'll obviously talk about it. So we're going to start with Pig. Starring Nicolas Cage, uh, one of my favorites. Jonah, real quick, what do you think about Nicolas Cage? Oh, man. So I I love Nick Cage. I grew up with National Treasure. That's where I knew him from. I'll be honest, I know all about the old classic Nick Cage, the 80s and 90s, Con Air, you know, Face Off. He's in Face Off. He's in uh, Wicker Man. I've not seen any of those older ones. The Rock. Uh, He's got so many He's had an incredible Arizona. Dude, I've not seen any of those actually, but his most recent stuff, I love all of them. Yeah, his Uh, late period stuff is as wacky as anything you'll see from a fairly a-list actor well he's probably not a-list at this point but he was in the 90s yeah he was i feel like we're almost in like a like a a weird nick cage resurgence oh yeah Uh, especially mandy you got coming out you got him burb away to massive talent you've got um yeah that was probably his biggest commercial and you got the new one i wanted to ask you have you seen his new uh the new uh, trailer dream scenario no 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 dream scenario is it called dream Dream scenario Scenario. i i I didn't have any chance to see it yet i it's on the list things it's on the list it was one of the ones i missed in 2023 well, yeah, I do love him. I do love his uh, his seemingly his energy. He's very electric in his performances. He's wacky. I love all the memes with him. And I think, being honest with Pig, I think this is my favorite performance of his. And that's coming from someone who's a, a Mandy diehard over here. I love that film. And honestly, Mandy is kind of similar. <laughs> yeah, it does have similar, it has similar vibes. It. But, Jonah, that's one of the things I love about you, man. You and me are part of the Mandy Hive. There's it's not like, very many of you us. you, me, and probably 300 other people on Earth that are huge fans of Mandy. You know what's funny? But it rocks. I, I show that movie to a lot of people, and I think you are the only person I know that genuinely loves it besides me. You just got to get into it, man. But Pig is a movie that Nicolas Cage has said is in his, I believe, top five favorite roles he's ever done. I mean, that's that's high honor from the guy that 
has probably done 45,000 movies in his career. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he is interesting, though. One, he likes to take chances, and two, I think he just keeps needing that paycheck, so he, he takes <laughs> a lot of movies. eccentric, buying T-Rex skulls or right. whatever he does. Or the, <laughs> what, the, the ashes of somebody, somebody <laughs> famous. I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was like Buddy Holly or something like that. The funny part about the Umber Wood and Matt's a Talent is the fact that it's almost like this commentary on his own career so you could tell like oh yeah he definitely like spends money on weird stuff yeah that's a good movie if you hadn't had a chance to see it it's it's a fun movie to check out but uh pig today what is your relationship to the movie pig oh man so going back to the whole comparison with john wick i saw the original trailer for pig right i came right off the heels of watching mandy and john wick around that same time and so i saw the trailer for pig and i was like oh my goodness it's john wick but with nicholas cage and I was so hyped for it. I was like, man. And it took a couple years. I finally, I watched it with you, actually. It was a movie night. We just got done watching Everything Everywhere All at Once, and we decided to turn on Pig at around like 10.30 at night. It was you, me, Matt Phillips, and Parker Davey. Yeah. And, and me and Matt Phillips were like, guys, we got to watch Pig. <laughs> and I was ready. I was ready for it, man. I was like, yeah, we just got off this great movie, and I was ready to watch Pig. I was ready to watch uh, Nicolas Cage be crazy, go John Wick mode on some fools. And, uh, yeah, it's totally not that. In fact, it's kind of the polar opposite of that. (laughs) And so I was disappointed the first time I saw it, I'll be honest. I think I fell asleep twice. Hey, Uh, (laughs) that's okay. That's okay. But we just got done re-watching it. I was my second time. I'd almost even call it my first time of really watching it. That's fair. And total 180, man. It was incredible. I I, loved it. I'm telling you, you have to watch it with the right lens. Because I'm with you. When I saw the trailer and all the build-up to it, and I think this was purposeful by the director and the campaign team of, hey, it's this revenge story. It's a guy whose pig got stolen, and he's going to go on this quest to take it back. Sound familiar? This (laughs) is John Wick. (laughs) Yeah, literally. But, like you're saying, every time you think it's going to go more into the revenge side of things, it does not. It goes 180, like you're saying, how you feel about this movie. It takes a 180. There's some violence in this, I thought there was going to be a lot more violence. Oh, me too. I thought it was going to be, you know, just an action flick with Nick Cage, you know, kind of maybe in the vein of Mandy almost. Yeah, but it was not. very reserved. And the thing I kind of, the the phrase that stuck with my mind to this movie was always strength through tolerance or strength through um, reservation even. Okay. Where you're, you're holding back. Right. And, you know, even the underground fight scene, I think about that all the time where he's just sitting there taking the punches. Um, And it was a wonderful, almost like a deconstruction of the the revenge trope genre. It pretty much is. Because, you know, every time, so what happens is, you know, he's living out in the Oregon countryside. Beautiful place to live, by the way, might I add. This movie looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. And his pig in the middle of the night that he loves gets stolen. And so after that, he's like, oh, I gotta go on this quest to, to find the pig. So first, he actually finds the people that take his pig. Oh, the true, the two people who were just kind of, maybe in the same industry, they were like truffle hunters or something like that, or they were around there, so they knew that he had this pig. They weren't as refined as him. Oh, no. That was something I noticed about the film, even when I was taking some notes, is the fact that they actually find the people who take the pig almost immediately. Right. <laughs> like, like, But no goes, harm comes to them. He goes to the uh, the truffle market and talks to, I think her name was Marge. 
Yeah. And Marge Marge says a couple expletives and drives straight to the, the people who took the pig. And when you're watching, you're like, okay, about to bust some skulls with Marge here. But no, they just have a conversation, try to get info out of these people because they had already given the pig to somebody else. So that's step one, right? Yeah. Then he gets into Portland, a place he hasn't been now for years. Quick side note, he's also in the wilderness living in isolation because his wife had died years before and he still has not coped with that. Really, the pig is the only sort of humanity he has left. Kind of like John Wick with his dog. I'm telling you, parallels <laughs> the whole time. So he gets, to, he gets to Portland. He's starting to go around trying to find his pig. And the only time there is violence is not him enacting the violence. It's him taking the violence. So he goes into that hotel where there's these backyard, not even brawls. It's I, like I think a fight it's, club? It's like an underground fight club kind of thing? This is what I understand from it, is that it is a place for service workers in the food industry that are not chefs to pay to beat up chefs that's what i did, did you get yeah, that I, or I thought it was i i think it was i mean the thing i got from it was like people were basically getting paid to get beaten up Nicholas Cage goes and he's um, trying to get information out of one of his old chef buddies who runs this underground fight club and uh, it's basically like people yeah it's like people pay him to basically beat up either chefs or service workers. Well, the, it, it seems like the, the chefs, because, you know, the typical chef characteristics are that they berate and basically abuse the people that work under them. So this is like them able to get back at the chefs. Yeah. And this, I think another... I, I don't know why it exists in this movie, but it, I mean, <laughs> yeah, funny, I get why um, it exists, but it, it's kind of random. Another John Wick parallel, maybe, in this is the fact that Rob, I believe is Nick Cage's character's name, he is like world-famous in this town and everybody knows his name i mean it's the same deal with john wick where they say oh it's john wick and everyone's like oh they say oh it's robin field yeah. or feld and uh everyone like a hush goes over the crowd yeah i mean you think about that time when he's at the restaurant trying to find his pig and his his co-worker his, his partner who helps him sell the truffle pigs or the, the truffles, truffles that the yeah. pig gets uh, he's like tell him your name He's like, it's Robin Phil. Actually, he doesn't even he doesn't even say his name. He no. just looks at yeah, him. Yeah, he, like, he doesn't want to say his name at first. Robin? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh my gosh. I used to work for you. But yeah, it's the exact same thing. that You say the guy's name and they're like, oh, it's this guy. Yeah. He's better than all of us at this thing that we all do. And the kind of the crux, I guess, for the first half, two-thirds of the movie is essentially Rob, accompanied with Amir, I believe is his name, yeah. which is the... Um, guy who buys the truffles from him Uh they're kind of shuffling around all these different locations in the great city of portland trying to figure out you know where his pig is at and quick shout out to the guy who played amir alex wolf alex wolf the only hereditary yeah i was gonna say the only thing i've also seen him in is hereditary and i loved him in this loved him in hereditary jumanji welcome to the jungle (laughs) was he in there was he yeah he was one of the kids that before they got into the video game i'm pretty sure he was the rock Oh, <laughs> man, it's been a long time since I've seen yeah. that one. I totally forgot he was in that movie. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, he, he does a great job. He's a good actor. Yeah. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, a little bit. From, he uh, he's that. been in a lot of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. You know, they keep going. They're still looking for this pig. And they finally find the big bad villain, which turns out to be Amir's father. Right? And so you think there's going to be, like, some sort of giant standoff between the two. Yeah, you're thinking, how, how, how is he going to get his pig back, you know? How is he going to get his pig back? He even sends Amir on a quest to get... <laughs> Items doesn't say what these items are yet. He He's just like, nonchalantly like, says, "I'm getting back my pig." Yeah. <laughs> and then what does he do? They make a meal for the guy, right? Yeah. But not any sort of meal. It's a meal that 
this guy remembers eating with his wife on a date night years ago at Robin Feld's restaurant. In a, in, in a time where you think he might try to attack this guy to get his pig back, no, he shows empathy. He shows mm-hmm. through, through sharing a meal with this guy to try to get his pig back. Ends up that his pig is actually dead, and it's a brutal scene <laughs> of... It, and it's all muted, yeah. but just Nicolas Cage for about 30 seconds just bawling on the floor. But then after that, he feels okay. Because yeah. I, I think it's, a lot of it is because he's, he's coping with not only the pig's death, but really essentially the death of his wife, which yeah. he's kind of fought off for a while. So my question is, like, what, what do you think is the theme of this movie? Oh, it's definitely dealing with grief. It's definitely, um, I think it's building walls around your grief is the big thing. So this is a great, I think I wrote down in my notes, is the fact that Darius, Amir's dad, who's the antagonist of this story. Thank you for helping me with um, names. I'm never good with names. He has basically become this, like, restaurant tycoon guy. I guess yeah. they're, like, suppliers for restaurants. That's Pretty kind much. of the... They supply truffles, which is a very expensive mushroom. Yeah. And Darius is, like, at the top of this industry, and then Amir is um, at the very, like, kind of bottom, working his way up. And I think his original motivation to even steal the pig was so that Amir wouldn't be able to succeed in the industry. Yeah. I think that's what the... Because um, he told he told his dad, Amir told his dad about the truffle his pig. relationship yeah. with Robin and the pig. Yeah. and Not so, knowing um, that he was going to steal the pig. Kind of the themes I imagine, I mean, you contrast this with... So they're both, Darius and Rob are both dealing with the deaths of their wives, or I guess, you know, with Darius, it's the brain injury of his wife or whatever it is. But it's two men who've kind of seemingly taken two different paths for dealing with their grief. One became this really vindictive, cutthroat, um, standoffish, you know, titan in his industry, whereas Rob actually leaves it all behind. Leaves it all behind, adopts a quiet life in the woods, but he's still, like, he's still standoffish, he's still holding back with people, right. and he's not, he's intentionally, like, left all of his relationships behind. It kind of developed a nihilistic outlook on life. I think the main theme is just how people are dealing with grief, and it's kind of those two paths that these characters take. And something I also noticed towards the end, I think Darius even tells Rob, you took the better path. But still, you know, he learns in the end that the way to move forward in grief is to not run away from it, mm-hmm. but to confront it. Yeah. You know, like when he gets back to Portland, he goes back to the restaurant that him and his wife worked at, now a bakery. You know, he confronts it there. He, he has these tapes that his wife left him. He finally listens to it at the end. When him and Ramir part ways at the very end, he's like, I'm going to walk home. And Amir's like, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm okay. Talk about amazing Nick Cage performance. I mean, he carries this film. That's incredible. Um, they're really, I mean, it's probably the most reserved I've ever seen Nick Cage in a movie. He received a nomination for this. Yeah. Uh, Critics' Choice Award. Such a remarkable performance where um, I remember in the, the restaurant scene, he seems very kind of standoffish, not wanting to comment on anything, etc., and then I think Amir drops the fact that his wife, or sorry, his mom killed herself. And you see something in his eyes. Like something in his eyes changed and you see how this very quiet, reserved, very standoffish man is like saddened by that. And I think this is really, I was, I was watching him like a hawk during this scene. But you almost see like a glint of recognition in it. And man, I just sat there like stunned at you know, his acting through that scene. You know, he, he does a fantastic job in this of conveying, like you can see all the emotions just with his facial expressions. 
or with his eyes. And honestly, I think people give Nick Cage a bad rap a lot of times, but they don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> he's legitimately one of our best. They don't get the cages, have. man. I think he's. I mean, I think he's got a bright future in terms of it's the resurgence has been crazy oh yeah he's, um, he's coming out with a new horror movie from neon called long legs which looks yeah. scary which is the same uh, same people seen. who made this one this is a neon film actually. it is a neon film yeah. you're right i definitely want to see dream scenario really badly i saw him in um color out of space color out of space never one? seen it it's a very small little indie horror film i think it came out in 2020 2021 with nick cage in it and it was amazing i give a quick little recommendation we but, love that on here He's, he's, yeah, he carries the movie. And I'll go ahead and say he's my MVP of the movie real quick. Yeah, um, yeah I'll say he's an MVP too. Although, shout out to um, Michael Sarnowski. Yeah. I believe his, his name. I believe his He was the writer-director. Yeah, it was his first film ever, which I'm trying to think about solid first films in this kind of vein. I think about Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. I think about... Um, Jordan Peele's Nope. Nope. I mean, it was just a fantastic first century. I'm excited to see what else he does. I think he's set to direct that new... Uh, Quiet a, Place, Day prequel. One. It's a prequel to The Quiet Place. You can tell he knows exactly how he wants to execute this movie, and he does that perfectly. Yeah. So that, is that your so, MVP? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd probably say the directing, because I'm trying to think... I think Nick Cage adds so much to this, but I'm trying to think of if there was any other actor that could also do that, and I'm not sure. Ryan Gosling? <laughs> Ryan Gosling could definitely... Ryan, I think you're... Uh, I think we're in the Ryan Gosling fan club that oh, who is uh, at this point? could conclude that man could do anything. Yeah, he could do anything. Um, uh, but no, really... But you're, I think you're actually onto something. I don't think anybody could have conveyed and done this performance quite like Nicolas Cage. He definitely had... I think he was... He was early on on board for the process of this movie i think he was very early on when they were developing it and but like it's not a boisterous like he's done a lot of boisterous parts it seems a lot of times and he has literally maybe half a second of him screaming in this movie i take it back there's that scene where he screams when he steals a bicycle and then when he's yelling (laughs) at amir after he finds out that amir's dad darius is the one that takes the pig but you know it's for the most part pretty pretty quiet pretty subtle he looks homeless the entire time. I mean, he is homeless. He lives out in a shack in the woods. The funny, uh, uh, the fun detail I love about this film was the fact that his face has blood on it the entire movie. Yeah, because he, uh, he gets beat up at that hotel while he's trying to get information. Yeah, he face. already had blood on his face from when the the the, the drug addicts came and broke right. into his house and hit him, him with a bat. Hit him with a bat. It's not till the very end of the movie. Actually, he washes his face off. Washes his face off in the river outside of the city. That doesn't sound very sanitary to me, but uh, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> metaphorical. Yeah. Oh uh, man! But uh, even that is like a, a deconstruction of the chicks dig scars action movie trope. He's not. He doesn't have like a little cut or like a black eye or something that says, "Oh, I look cool now." No, the guy looks terrible, and he wears his heart on his sleeve now because of it. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, another one of those little differences between this and John Wick. What was your favorite scene of this movie? My favorite scene of this movie was the conversation with the chef about halfway through the movie at that restaurant. This guy, I can't remember. Do you remember the chef's name? Uh, I don't remember. It's his okay. Name. I don't I don't it's not a huge deal. Uh, but the chef, you know, he comes out after Robin demands to speak with him and he's just making this crazy food that doesn't even look appetizing, doesn't sound appetizing. You know, the guy talks about really the only reason he's making it after Robin starts to kind of pick away at his facade. 
he's like, well, people people like this stuff. People like this stuff. It's what they want to talk about. It's 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 hip. It's new. People want to talk about this food that I'm making. And he used to work at Robin's restaurant. And Robin is like, but this isn't what you want to make, man. What did you want to do? And the guy like, it's almost like he forgot about his dream, and it like just pops out. He's like. Irish pub, and then he just starts laughing. Crazy, crazy little performance yeah. by this guy. Kind of steals the show for about five minutes. This guy seems like a psychopath. <laughs> Basically, Robin is like, why are you making this food that you don't even care about? These people don't care about you. They don't even know your name. And then this is how he ends it. And this is kind of another part of this movie, especially with the movie's relationship to food, which I'll ask you about after we talk about your favorite scene. But he's like, we don't get a lot of things to truly care about. So why are you doing this? I just thought it was an incredible scene. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie is right. really getting at the heart of what's going on with that. I was I wrote that down as my favorite scene as well, it's actually. Great. It's incredible. Um, perfectly written, perfectly acted. It really gets to the heart of, like, kind of following your dreams. And um, the thing I remember most is the living your life for other people. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a hollow, fickle thing that's always fleeting. I love his line about, like, none of it's real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. You know, you're not real. Yeah, um, they, yeah he's like, they don't even think you're real. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to contrast that, because then he meets another of his former employees whenever they're getting all the ingredients together for the restaurant, or for the, the meal at the end. And he goes to the um, his original restaurant. Like, he goes to the location that his original restaurant was at, and he meets one of his old um, chefs. And she's turned into a bakery. And she says to him, you know, oh, well, I kept it going for a couple years thinking you might come back. But when you didn't, I changed it to a bakery because I'm a baker. Your old restaurant was not me. And I immediately thought about, man, the compare and contrast there between that other, that other former employee who's kind of chasing after, the, chasing after the hot thing that everybody wants but his soul's not in it yeah. versus her who you know, took this prized, you know, thing that everybody loved, but recognized it's not true to her. And she changed it. Yeah. And I think that was a great little mini contrast moment, you know, between the two employees. No. And I feel like they can kind of transition us to our next question. You know, this, this movie emphasizes food. It's, it's all about food. Even the chapter names are uh, recipe titles. But, like, what do you think... And this is more of not even necessarily the movie. But obviously... The movie wants you to look at food and, and serving food to others as a way of like to show empathy, to show love, relationships between each other. What is it about food you think that is like this language of love? If I might get so existential right now, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think because it's, it's true. Just, I see it in my in my own life. You know, it's it's necessary for life, but it also is. It's so sensory, man. It's the sights of it, it's the smells of it, it's the tastes of it, and it's usually handcrafted. Yeah, I mean, you're making a meal for people. Even in the film, I thought it was interesting that Amir notes, he makes, I think he makes some kind of terrible breakfast for Rob in the movie, and he mentions, sorry, I don't cook that much. And then, you know, the finale of the movie is basically Rob almost showing him how to make this meal. Yeah. Almost how to love. Yeah. How to love people, how to care for people, and you you definitely get that from Rob's character. The thing I notice about this film a lot is whenever they're cooking, it almost focuses on his hands. It always focuses on his hands doing something with the food, and it really shows like a like a care and a love. Yeah, into making this thing for the benefit of you know others. That's great. So um, we're kind of in a food resurgence as well in terms of 
movies and TV shows. Food's back. We got the bear. We've got the menu. We've got this. Yeah. Uh, Top Chef is probably still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my family still watches diners, drive-ins, and dives. That's always yeah. a good one. But no, you're exactly right. The other thing I thought about on that is, you know, food is not this thing that lasts forever. It's actually quite temporary. Mm-hmm. You know, and it goes back to that idea of we don't get a lot of things to truly care about. You know, I mean, that he, that he tells that chef there. It's like you really don't have that long to care about food. But still in that, you put all this effort into making it. Shout out to food. We need it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So I think everything needs it. Every uh, living thing anyway. Every, yeah. <laughs> we do talk about criticisms and we call this segment, I'm going to try to remember the wording. Uh, we're not artists, so we have no room to speak about filmmakers and critiquing their work. However, we're going to do it anyway. Criticism. <laughs> so, do you have any criticisms of this movie? I do. So, when I first watched it, I hated this movie. And I was like, oh, it's slow. It's so boring. You know, it wasn't what I expected. I just wanted to see Nick Cage kill people. Now rewatching it, oh, that's gone away. But I do have a little, like, some minor nitpicking about it. Is, towards the end, I feel like there's a little bit that they've either cut or maybe it's not fully explained enough is maybe um, Nicholas Cage's, or sorry, uh, Robin's, how he's dealing with the death of his pig and kind of how he gets over it. He kind of just, he finds out the pig dies. Then they have one conversation at the diner where he says something along the lines of, um, you know, if I never went to look for her, she'd still be alive in my mind. And Amir says, but she wouldn't. But she wouldn't. That. But I, I think that's the moment he fully, truly heals. Because that's him confronting his grief. Yeah, I just... You because know what's if funny? He, if he didn't go looking for her, like he's saying, he would have these walls and he'd think, okay, maybe she's still alive, but that's not helping him at all. He'd still be grieving because he's not with the pig. Yeah. I just feel like, I think for me personally, I wanted to see a little bit more of that. That's maybe fair. a little bit more, a little bit more denouement, or I think is what it's called. Sure. Um... <laughs> Also, I think you could have expanded a little bit of Darius's character a little bit more. It kind of, it kind of like it shows him eating the food. He kind of cries for a minute. He tells him the pig is dead, and then like that's it. I thought that actor did a great, had a great scene there though. Yeah, truly broken after eating the meal that reminds him of his wife, and he's like, "Get out! Get out! Get out of my house!" <laughs> <laughs> I love when a guy just screams out of nowhere. In a movie. Another fun little, I think that was a fun detail, little turn, was the fact that Robin kind of just says, oh, by the way, uh, I can still find truffles. I didn't yeah. need the pig. And then Amir freaks out and is like, well, why did we do all this? And he kind of just goes, I love the pig. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's cause, it. Cause um, it. That was another thing, maybe, is it also, I think, could have expanded a little bit on the relationship between the pig and him like why that pig is significant obviously you can just say oh it's just a, you know it's like an emotional support thing maybe yeah. you know but like i think john wick does well i wonder what the pig's name was if it was laura like his wife yeah i don't it's something like that you know or i think that's what john wick does well actually is doing the full connection of like the animal to the protagonist you know with the john wick's whole it's his, his wife last so i honestly i watched this movie with almost the same idea was like yeah. oh yeah is this pig his last gift for his wife but those are maybe two critiques I have of it. It's just a little bit more development. This is a short movie. I think clocks in at an hour 31 minutes, I think. Something like that. It's a tight 90, yeah. Uh, it's a tight 90, <laughs> which I love. I usually am a fan of 90-minute movies. This one, I might be wanted a little bit more. Interesting. So. so, this is my criticism. I think if you look at it with the wrong lens and you go at it, you got first off, you got to pay attention the whole time. Like, you got to be absorbed into this movie. Because if you're not, 
I think it's going to come off a little pretentious. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it, it is an art house movie, and like the normal the normal viewer the the non Mandy lovers of the world <laughs> are going to have a hard time really getting into this movie unless they are fully focused in it. But it may seem pretentious, but honestly, it's fighting against that idea of pretentiousness through the idea of food. But really, just I think the idea of art being pretentious. Why make things that you think would be cool to others when you should just make stuff that's passionate to you? And I think that's what Michael Storioski. What's his name? Oh, uh, Michael. Um, Michael Saranoski. Michael Saranoski. Like I think that's what he's what he's trying to say here. So my criticism is kind of a criticism, but it's not really. But that's what we yeah. do here on Proceeding Film, man. We just talk about it. We don't have to have a criticism. We don't want to. Didn't have a criticism for Moneyball because Moneyball's perfect. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with Moneyball, man. Dude, like me some Moneyball. Yeah, dude. Oh man, now you got me thinking about Moneyball again. Yeah, thinking about know, that. Man, we got to think about John Wick. We do have to think about John Wick, which, unlike Pig, which at every turn you think it's going to be a revenge story, ends up being a story about empathy and forgiveness. It's a full-on revenge story. So let's get into John Wick, man. <laughs> I, you might have heard this before, but a retired professional has his animal taken from him, and he now must go on a quest in the underground of this world to seek revenge. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> what can we What can we say about this film that hasn't already been said, man? Well, it's let me ask you one this: one of the most beloved action franchises of the last twenty years. It's incredible. What is your relationship to John Wick? Oh man, so I didn't see the first one in theaters. I'd only heard little rumors about it, and I'd maybe heard people saying, "Oh, I'm going to go John Wick on you know X person or whatever," and I was kind of like, "Oh, what is that?" It wasn't until the second one came out. Right before the second one came out, I finally I was getting into film for the first time. I think it was high, in high school at the time, and so I decided, "Oh, hey, we're going to watch the second one in theaters. Let's watch the first one." I'll never forget that first time, man. I was just completely. I, I think that week that I watched John Wick, I think I watched it like five times. Dude, um, it rocks. Like just every night I was watching that film because it was just groundbreaking. Dude. I'd never seen anything like it. I think they I think this movie single handedly changed action movies from then on. I mean it set a new bar, definitely. I think it kinda of revitalized them. Yeah. I'm trying to think what came out in like the mid two thousands, late or mid two thousand tens, late two thousands. And it's really not many memorable American action movies. Yeah. John Wick came out in 2014, and now you see all of these action movies that are coming after it are trying to emulate John Wick. I think of The Beekeeper with Jason Statham that <laughs> yeah. just came out. I think of I think it's called Mr. Nobody or Nobody, mm-hmm. starring uh, Bob Odenkirk, yeah. which I think is created by the people that created mm-hmm. John Wick. Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde. That's another great one. That was there was that vein. World War II movie that came out last year. You know what I'm talking about? It was like that old guy. He had the gold. Oh, oh, he was a Swedish. Or not what a, is that? What uh, was that movie it called? It was a Swedish guy. It was very much just World War II John Wick. Quick tangent. The way they advertised that movie, they just had random guys. They'd interview random guys coming out of the theater thinking like, what would you think about this movie? And they're like, oh, I loved it. <laughs> so I'm just telling you, that is how you should... That is always how you should advertise your movie. Just have random dudes who definitely would go see that movie by themselves talk about their movie in, in high praise walking out of the theater. Oh, man. All right, I looked, up, I looked up World War II John Wick movie, and it came up immediately. Sizu. There we go. Sizu. Not seen it yet, but I've heard great things. I've heard if it's like John Wick, it's going to be good. So I saw John Wick years after it came out. It came out in 2014. I was only 14 years old. I had heard good things about it, but, you know, I just, 
I didn't really go to the movies a lot when I didn't have a car, you know, so I didn't really go see John Wick. I had known of Keanu Reeves from several movies, uh, but it wasn't until the second one came out on TV, and I remember, I think I was watching, I think it was like Spike TV, and they showed the first one and the second one. So I actually saw the second one first, and then they showed the first one right after that. These are awesome. I mean, as far as action movies go, like you're saying, they kind of set the bar extremely high. Yeah. I mean, they're incredible. So, I mean, and one of the things why that is is because the director, Chad Stelhosky, Stelhesky? Yeah, something something like like that. that. Ex-stuntman. I think he he actually was Keanu's stuntman in the Matrix movies, I believe. Really? Yeah, that was how, that's the connection there. I don't remember if he was a stuntman or if he was a stunt coordinator for that movie, but they worked together on the Matrix film, and that's how they came together to make John Wick. Listen, listen, I know it's not going to happen right now, but these movies, and I think Mission Impossible and a couple others, are testament to the fact that we need stunt Oscars. Sorry, we need need the best of stunts. I mean, because that is actually, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about, was these, I mean, these choreographed fight scenes are, I mean, they're art. It's like you're watching, like like, a... pretty much a musical when you see like a dance number yeah it's the same thing pretty much just with guns and killing yeah but i mean it's choreographed like you have to go in a perfect routine perfect coordination like you're exactly right like i mean this should be honored a little bit more because i mean what you're watching is incredibly hard to do and it looks awesome on screen every time you see it i actually um in preparation for this podcast, it got me thinking about all the classic action films, and I actually went back to a lot of the old school martial arts, like Asian movies, like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh-huh. Like um, I watched a little bit of It Man. Yeah. Um, but just watching the choreography, and it made me real kind of make the connection that like John Wick is almost like the it's the modern it's the you know it's it's new age samurai yeah. movies, and like, they really dive more into that and like. Two, three, and four. Yeah, but you can see it a lot in one as well. Yeah, and it's really one. I think is very interesting to me because I kind of break down this quadrology. Is it a quadrology? These four sure. film, this film saga. I kind of view the first one as its own standoff. Like I think of it yeah. as like one movie and then a trilogy. Right, is kind of the they really flesh out the world in the second one. Like you know, they really dive into the idea of the criminal underground syndicate that connects all of these hitmen together. They talk about it at least in the first one. John Wick goes to the Hitman Hotel. Yeah, the it's Continental. Not called that. Yeah, it's, it's called, called the, the Continental. Continental. Goes to the Continental is able to operate his revenge tour through there. But they really dive into it more. In, um, in the newer movies. I can't believe I'm saying this, but compared to the other films, John Wick is actually kind of reserved, which is oh, kind yeah. of which is kind of an insane take to have because this movie he kills like 85 guys on screen. Yeah. Like Well, he, I mean, it, it relatively is reserved, but I mean, you got to think about this, right? For example, like the budget for this first one and you can see it on screen. It was a lot less than two, three, and four. Like it was reportedly around twenty to thirty million. Made eighty-eight million. That's a blockbuster right there. And quick tangent, I, I do want to give the box office notes for Pig. Uh, the budget was three million. You want to guess what the box office was? Probably not much. It's an art house film. Maybe like 
six, five? Four million. That's Man. a profit right there, dude. <laughs> Although, what's funny is, if I watch this movie on Hulu, it's on Hulu right now. Yeah. It'll say blockbuster movie on it. And I'm like, there's no. There, no. no, it's not. No, Hulu. <laughs> I don't think that's quite right. But in Hulu's eyes, it is. Um, anyway, it wasn't necessarily going to be a one-off movie, John Wick, but the first movie is definitely a standalone Film. Yeah, you can watch you, if you if you just want to watch this one film, you don't need to watch any of the others. It's a complete story. But two and three directly lead into the next movies that yeah follow. One, I think I listened to the um, what's the director's name? Is Chad uh, Still Chad Stillhosky? Stillhosky. He did a Joe Rogan episode, and he kind of dived into this first one a little bit. And the iconic way they shot those action scenes, with like the one take, static camera stuff. He revealed in that podcast it was actually just to save money. Yeah. It was the fact that they had so little working budget that they, they couldn't afford to like set the camera up in like multiple different way angles yeah. and stuff. And so they were trying to do it with as minimal cuts as possible just for the sake of like saving money. And little did they know they invented like the new style of how to shoot modern action. Sometimes you gotta get creative, and when you get creative, that's when the art gets really good. So I just want to ask you, there's plenty of scenes that are just awesome in this movie that just go, make you say, dude's rock. You know what I mean? Do you have like a favorite scene though? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which, so it's right it? when uh, John Wick goes to the uh, club, to the Red Circle, the Red I believe, Circle to club. go hunt down, uh, I believe his name is Euphis, which is played by Alfie Allen? Yeah, who's in Game of Thrones. Yeah, he's in Game of Thrones. Like Theo in Game yeah, of Thrones. Yeah, little Theon Greyjoy action. But um, yeah, so John Wick goes to this club where he finds out that the, the the mafia boss's son who killed his dog is. And he goes into the bathhouse. He kills a bunch of guys in the bathhouse. He spares Yusuf. He kind of shoots the guy down below when he could have killed him as like an intimidation factor. He stumbles out of the uh, basement bathhouse into the dance floor club with only, only, only his towel. towel. Only his towel. He, there's this blaring club music going on, and he kind of shouts, he's coming, he's coming, John Wick's in there, he's coming, you know? And then right when like he gets out of the room, you know, Keanu comes around that corner with the dance club beat, goes through like eight guys to the beat of the music. That's the other thing, like, his bullets go to the beat of the, of the song. It's, it's just cool. It's <laughs> cool, man. It's straight movie magic. Nothing. I've watched that scene alone on YouTube probably a hundred times. Oh, the John Wick movies are notorious for just pulling up a scene on YouTube. You know what I mean? Like, it was just, it was just the sheer, like, that was something that I think is unique about this film that I don't think the others actually have as much is people like fear john wick well in this movie like the other ones he's obviously an obstacle but um this is the only one maybe the second one a little bit as well where he's like he's hunting people he's not just reacting to guys getting thrown at him he's actually on the attack for a lot of these yeah and the people are genuinely like i mean they call him the baba yaga the boogeyman yeah <laughs> like he, the people are genuinely afraid of well you know and it's like, great because yeah. one of the things about these movies I think that's great is they don't take themselves too seriously. Like, they're having fun with the action genre. The main bad guy, the mob boss, Vigo Tarasov, uh, Yusuf's dad, his main, like, his motive in the movie is he has to now kill John Wick because his son killed his dog and he knows that if he keeps John Wick alive... 
because of his anger and the revenge he's about to take on everybody, he will kill everybody <laughs> in his organization, including himself. <laughs> when he finds out, it's one, it's one of my favorite scenes. It's not my favorite scene, but i got to give a highlight to this one. When he finds out whose dog that his son killed, and he's like, John Wick. He goes, oh. <laughs> and just, that's, that's probably the greatest character introductions yeah. in movies like and it's all while john wick is literally like digging up his past with a sledgehammer and like taking out his old hitman gear oh it's yeah dude it's so sick it's really like they do a really excellent job of really leaning into the build-up for the lore of this character yeah. of like just it's like you do not want to mess with this guy he is literally the and then they back it up and then they back it up that's what i love so much is just oh man he just yeah. goes through guys like a knife through butter Literally, um, at some point, yeah. Uh, like I, mean, I love that nightclub scene. You know, there's two, I guess, needle drops. You know, it's that first song. I think it's called "Think" or whatever. Yeah, something like that. And like, <laughs> there's one part where he like puts his hand over the guy's mouth, stabs him in the throat, and just like stares at him for five, six seconds as he slowly dies. <laughs> and you're like, oh my gosh, John Wick is the craziest dude on earth. Yeah. But he, oh, he's so cool. Oh, it's so good. Who cares about pigs? message of love and empathy revenge you, man <laughs> revenge it's when sick god stylized stylized just crazy stylized action. violence is just and it's the, what we want the sheer amount of i mean this these movies really they created a new style of combat i believe they call it gung fu where it's just straight they've created like a new martial arts style and that's kind of why i was hearkening back to the old asian martial arts movies yeah. is the fact that they use so much martial arts in the fight choreography but then they also bring in the modern firearms yeah. you know and it really just makes for dynamic action this yeah, whole film series does that amazing his gunfights are gunfights like you're saying but they're all up close you know like you have to almost fight your way to a headshot and he always does. He always cleans. <laughs> he always gets the clean. Oh, was a double tap shots. man. What was your? Do you have your just definitive favorite moment? Is it the stab in the neck or? No, it's actually. So he gets captured by Vigo and his guys, and they got him like tied up in that chair, and he's <laughs> he just he gets angry, right? And he just starts yelling. And I think it's just Keanu's line deliveries in this, oh. <laughs> and he's like, "The last thing that my wife left me." <laughs> He stole that from me. Yeah. Killed that from me. If you don't give him to me, you will be dead alongside with him. Yeah. People keep asking if I'm back. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm back. <laughs> and then they put the bag over his head. And this is the one time that John Wick needs help. Who do you need? Willem Dafoe with a sniper rifle on a, on a uh, building on the other side of the street. Takes him out. John Wick is back, man. I just love, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back has been etched in my brain ever since I saw it. Shout out to Willem Dafoe in this film. Oh, uh, he's always incredible in everything he's in. Uh, <laughs> Never a bad Willem Dafoe performance. I had no idea that he was in this movie the first time I saw it. And so when he came on the screen, I was like, oh, it's Willem Dafoe. surprise Willem Dafoe. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know his character's name. Marcus. It's Marcus. I'm go. looking at it right now. I didn't know that off the top of my head. <laughs> that scene's just great to me. I, w I would also say the, the club scene. 
but I'm gonna let you have that. I was trying to think of it, your scene is almost. It, I almost got a strangely comedic note off of it. Oh, it's kind is of the fact that they had kind of cut him off halfway through yeah. his his gigantic monologue, which is the loudest this man's ever been. This, this is the most amount of lines I think John Wick's ever said. He, he says increasingly less sounds and words every movie but this is the one he talks the most in <laughs> right in this big giant monologue why they just throw a bag over his head try, yeah. trying to strangle him you, they don't take it they don't take it too seriously these movies are very video game like i mean it's just like you got the oh, you got yeah. the you got the main boss but usually he's always got the 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 secondary like yeah. you know little mini bosses you gotta he's gotta go through before he gets to you know his main target yeah so he kills he does kill the son but then he's not done there he goes no. ahead and just takes down the whole organization and kills Vigo in the end. And he gets a new dog. He does get a new dog. Who, I will say, spoiler alert. Oh, by the way, spoiler warning for all these movies. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that we talked all about Pig and most of John Wick before we <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, reminded folks about that. Uh, but uh, we do have spoiler warnings. <laughs> but the dog survives in 2, 3, and 4. It does. So that's that's always that's a, a good, good That's a good thing. Now, any, any criticisms for John Wick? I do. I do have criticism. I love this film to death. Um, it's near and dear to my heart. I And this might be a little bit of budgetary constraints, I believe. It definitely feels like they kind of ran out of money towards the end of the shoot, um, or at least towards the finale. For the as dynamic of action as you do have, amazing fight choreography, amazing set pieces, you know, great locations for all of this, the f- actual finale of this, I feel like, just kind of ends with like a... A weird car action scene yeah. that's definitely been done better in subsequent movies, and then um, it's kind of rainy. It's, it's like, a, like a rainy like fight that you can definitely tell. The like, lighting isn't as good in this as it is in other. Yeah, scenes. it's also I think a big thing for me, kind of recognizing. I don't think the actor who plays Vigo is probably nearly as good for fight scenes as Keanu is. He's and kind so of an old kinda, guy. Yeah, so you kind of see they Michael definitely Nyquist. like. That's who his name was. And you can definitely tell that, you know, the way they kind of shot that fight and stuff, it was a little bit like, you know, he gets a, he gets a quiff, like, knife stab on John, so that way he's a little bit more impaired while they're fighting and stuff. And it just feels, it rings a little bit hollow, I think, especially when you look at the other films. That'd be my, no, I, maybe I my agree. one critique. Well, um, mine's kind of in a similar vein. I said, kind of feels like a made-for-TV movie, almost. Yeah. And I think it's just budget constraints, but there's really nothing you can do about that. Yeah. And, I mean, they hit it out of the park with what they could have done. This is a fun little bit of movie trivia that I heard the director from this talk about, is the fact that if you watch all these John Wick movies, you can actually tell what order they've shot the films in based on the facial hair of the extras. <laughs> because they're having they're having to reuse guys. Yeah. So like if you see guys with masks on and then guys without masks on, typically it's the same actors doing that. Right. And that's so that they just sense. don't have to pay more people. Yeah. And then also it's how much hair they have. So like at the beginning of the film, they'll all have beards, some kind of facial hair, they'll all have hairs, you know, like hair up top and then as they keep shooting, they'll like shave a beard off. <laughs> they'll shave their hair off, so they're bald now, so they look different enough that they can be reused. That's funny. I didn't know about it. It's a good so that's tip. A fun little, fun little viewing thing when you're watching a lot of these is you know pay attention to the facial hair the guys are killing. Right. Uh, what's your MVP? Oh, that's or so who? hard. It's a it's a toss up between Chad and Keanu. Man, 
This is not my favorite Keanu performance. I still think that goes to The Matrix. I love me some Neo. I haven't seen it. Oh, man. We're going to we're gonna have to watch it together. We man. have an episode with that and, I believe, Free Guy that we will do at some point. Man, that's going to be a good one. Uh, so... Matrix, the first Matrix, one of my all-time favorites. But all that to say, I'm not sure. I think the toss-up between between Chad and John w- and um, Keanu, I'm probably, man... I think I gotta go Keanu. I still gotta go Keanu. I can't imagine anyone else being able to do that. Well, I mean, and he, I mean, it's kind of funny we're talking about him like this. He's having a renaissance with these movies, kind of like Nick Cage is right now with all of his movies that he's doing. Yeah, know? both these actors are having sort of renaissances with their and it's respective franchise. I think it's primarily just because of the fact that, like, I think of when I think of great action stars working right now. I think Keanu, and then I also think um, Tom Cruise. Yeah, where you have guys, where you have these guys who are very well trained in just stunt work, basically, uh-huh. and so they're able to do all of or most of their stunts, and just adding that extra dimension of realism into these films. Yeah, that just and I will say I don't think Keanu is an Oscar worthy actor by any means, but he has a solemnness to him. That fits perfectly for this character. It does. It's just, yeah. My MVP is going to be Chad Stelhaski. Just the the world he's been able to create from this. And, I mean, couldn't have two, three, and four without this one being as good and as successful as it did. So. I love how these movies don't take themselves too seriously. Exactly. Like, you could really, I mean, you could go in a bunch of different directions with this franchise but he has maintained a solid vision for what this has always been. And it's always been, you know, the stylized action at the core of it. I mean, in the and fourth then, one, John Wick falls down several flights of stairs in a comedic fashion. <laughs> you know? Like, and it's really, I mean, he really, he knows exactly what this film franchise is. And he masterfully keeps going through it. Uh, I keep citing this Joe Rogan interview. If you haven't seen it. I'd highly recommend it. He kind of talks about the process for building the world out and stuff. Uh-huh. And he basically just says, hey, we, you know, we thought of something, and if it sounded and looked cool, that's exactly what we did. And like, More people should be doing this. You know, it's like, you know, people, like the whole coin thing, like in the second film with the, 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 the finger, blood fingerprint with the coin, the marker, I think yeah. is what it's called. Uh, Joe Rogan asked him about it, and he kind of just goes, man, he's like, we thought about that, and we just thought it was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what we did, and I'm like, I love it. I um, love it. Give me your quick uh, John Wick movie rankings. There's Man. four of them. So, disclaimer, I love all of them. Yeah, there's no losers on this there's list. There's no losers. Zero losers on this list. Up until recently, I really liked the first one the most, but kind of going back to that, like it's like a one-off and then you have a trilogy thing, and noticing a little bit problems I have towards the back end of the film, my ranking is probably gonna go. Man, it's probably two, four, one, and three. But That's two good. and four, but two and four are are neck and neck, man. Um, I have a really. I think the second one is criminally underrated. Um, oh, the second one rocks. And that whole Coliseum scene when he has to escape. Oh, my I think goodness. the second one is just the perfect amount of action to like world building common comes out of nowhere you work it again john yeah yeah was it good <laughs> unfortunately yeah <laughs> love it oh man what are your uh what are your power rankings for all the... right 
so pretty Wick. similar to you. Um, four though is the best one for me. It's an incredible. It's incredible. I saw it twice in the theater, and then I remember at Open Door Cigar Lounge they just had it on, and so we got to watch the, the last hour and a half or so of that movie. Incredible. In, that movie is one of my favorite action movies now of all time. Four. Four is a five star movie for me. I have no complaints. Then I'm going two. Yeah. And everything that you said about it, phenomenal. And then I'm going one. And then I'm going three. Which, three, everything that happened in two and four, they just did better than in three, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was trying, I was actually thinking about this up leading up to this podcast, why I ranked the third one the least. And it's, I think for me. I forget about. I think I think it's the most forgettable. Not in the sense I love the fight choreography in it, the knife fight in the knife shop. Yeah, phenomenal. It was exhilarating. Um, Killing Boban Marjanovic with a book. <laughs> like it has absolutely amazing. The final fight with the guys in the crazy body armor and having to get the shotguns out. It's exhilarating and it's of the same. I think quality of action. But I think for me, it's um, there's not a lot of substance to the story, and I think. It doesn't necessarily move the franchise forward. Like, I could totally imagine a world where you have number two, and then it just jumps to number four. Like, it doesn't... Number three doesn't seem as quite as important to the general, like, story of this franchise as the others. And I think that maybe is why it lends itself to be a little bit more forgettable. But not to not to dig on it, man. It's it's also Again, no losers on this list. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're they're all a tour to four. Man, I still I watch YouTube clips of the third one. Oh, just yeah. as much, just as much as the others. You know, the knife fight, the the dog fight with Halle Berry and her oh, German shepherds. Oh man, <laughs> she was apparently crazy gung ho about getting into that movie. That's what I heard. She she contacted Chad and like months prior to them even having a script for it. She literally calls him up. She, I think, gets in touch with his agent, and she goes to his house, and she's like, "Are you making another John, Wick, a third John Wick film?" And he goes, uh, "Yeah, but we haven't finished the script." And she goes, "I want you to write me in it." <laughs> and then he kind of, he was like, taken aback. He's like, "Is his Halle Berry wanting to be in my film?" Dude, of course. Halle Berry wants to be in your film. You got a letter in your film. So he, you know, he says, "All right, I'll write you a part." You know, and then she goes, "Okay, what do I need to start doing, <laughs> like, to get prepped for it?" And he That's was. Right. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so we'll finish up, as we always ask at the end of these episodes. What are you taking? Are you taking the preceding film or the newer film? Man, I do love Pig. It's a great subversion of the revenge trope genre. It's got a great theme to it. It's a soft, somber, quiet, wonderful movie. But I gotta go with the preceding film, man. You're going with the preceding, preceding film. film. It's the name of the podcast. Gotta go with preceding film, John Wick. I think it's one of the greatest action franchises we've had in the past 20 years. Sorry, Pig. <laughs> no, that's okay, because I'm going to disagree with you. Wow. So Pig's going to have wow. a defender today. If this was another John Wick movie, say two or four, I'd probably pick it over Pig. However, this one is not as good to me as Pig. My beloved Pig. I'll tell you why. Because love and empathy win over revenge. Jonah so <laughs> no I just uh, um, I just really connected with this movie the first time I saw it and I've seen it now I'll, I'll watch it every now and then and uh, love it every time thank you Nicolas Cage for uh, giving me uh, one of my favorite performances I've seen in a long time 
Yeah. Which, who knows? Maybe in the future, you know, if I give Pig a couple rewatches, it might, it might grow on me near and dear to my heart, and I'll, I'll love it even more than John Wick. I, uh, all I know is I want to go to Portland now because of this movie. I'm, I'm, I bet I bet it'll be more disappointing than this movie has shown. But. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I'll be like, yeah, this is Portland. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't what I, Robin Feld made me believe it would be. I want to say thank you for being on, man. It was yeah, fun. Thank you for having uh, me on. Drew and I will be back next week. I'm excited to see what uh, he hasn't. Every week we pick, we get to alternate who picks. So I'm excited to see what he will end up picking next week. Uh, but real quick, before we leave, I do want to make a quick shout-out, or I guess maybe a tribute, whatever you want to call it, to uh, Carl Weathers, who died a couple of days ago. Oh, I saw that, yeah. Actor from... And we just did our Rocky and Creed episode last mm-hmm. week. And uh, so Carl Weathers passed away, played Apollo Creed, uh, one of my favorites growing up. Uh, also was the other arm in the great meme from Predator with the two gigantic muscular arms of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers. Uh, one of my one of the funniest memes, I would say. He was also in an episode of Psych, where he was an old detective that they came back and called in. And uh, very funny performance. It's, it's so sad, man, because I think he was, he was getting a little bit of a resurgence, too, because of uh, Mandalorian. Yeah. yeah, he was an integral part in the Mandalorian. Yeah. And so, um, well, rip to Carl Weathers, Happy Gilmore, Arrested Development, other great roles of his. And so, uh, but Jonah, thank you for being on, man. It was fun, and uh, we will see you all next week.